This is KMTT. This is Ezra Bick. We're starting a new series today on Agadot Perik the Agadot of Perik in Sanhedrin. Perik begins, Ko Yisrael yeshtem chedek olam Every Jew has a portion in the world to come. The uh, Gemara at length discusses, first of all, the idea of Tchiyat HaMitim. And because of that, the Inyan, the Inyan, by virtue of association, many, many other Agadot, uh, the power consists almost entirely of Agadah, uh, related to that idea. The first, uh, after the statement, the uh, Mishnah begins to list the exceptions. These are those who do not have a portion of the world to come. The first one is, He who says that the resurrection is not, uh, is not in the Torah. Now, I, I want to jump directly into the Midrashim in the Gemara, the Agadot in the Gemara, but a word of, uh, a word of introduction. Um, the Gemara in the very beginning explains why. Why is someone who uh, doesn't accept the doctrine the dogma of resurrection, why does he have no portion in the world to come? And the Gemara says, Midah keneged Midah. It's a famous principle of, uh, it's called in English, to meet the punishment, to have the punishment fit the crime. Midah keneged Midah. God judges the world in measure against measure. Who? The Gemara says, the very first line of the Gemara, Who kafa betchat ha-metim lefichach lo yelo chelek betchiat ha-metim. Since he doesn't accept, since he uh, uh, refutes, denies the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead, therefore he does not have a portion in the resurrection of the dead. This statement in the Gemara, it should be compared to the Mishnah. The Mishnah doesn't say that you will not be resurrected if you don't believe in resurrection. The Mishnah says you have no portion in the world to come if you don't believe in resurrection. Uh, this engenders a large and highly debated discussion in uh, in the Rishonim, in the commentators, as to what the connection, or what is the meaning of the world to come, and what is its relationship with the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead. Uh, which can be drawn in one of two directions. Either what does it mean, resurrection of the dead? Does it mean bodily resurrection, as most of us have been taught? And what does the world to come mean? Um, and this was debated or discussed by the Ramam and the Ramban, etc. And I don't wish to discuss it. Uh, that's not our portion. That's not our problem today. Um, the idea of measure against measure would seem to imply that the punishment for one who doesn't accept the doctrine of resurrection will be not being resurrected. If the Mishnah calls that Olam Haba, the world to come, that seems to imply that the world to come is the physical world to come after the resurrection of the dead, as opposed to the theory of the Rambam that the world to come is the uh, life, the spiritual life, in a non-physical world that takes place immediately after after you die. Okay, so we're not going to discuss that. It's a, a complicated topic. Um, the, the generally accepted idea, at least maybe the words don't mean that, but generally the Ramam's opinion is, is accepted, the Ramam as he expressed it is, is accepted, that there is a non-physical life of the soul, as well as a future 
in Messianic times, a future uh, event which will be called the resurrection of the dead. The Gemara, and it's quite clear from reading the Gemara, does not always distinguish between those two things. There is basis for the Ramam's opinion. There was there is a basis for spiritual, non-physical existence. There is a basis for resurrection, bodily resurrection of the dead. And the Gemara seems to line them up together, which is why there's a problem in the, in the Rishonim. Uh, I mentioned this today at the very beginning. We're not going to discuss that. We're going to treat the Gemara as as it comes. The the, the first Gemara that we're going to read are clearly about resurrection, are clearly about a future bodily, this-world existence for people who have died in the past. And that's what we're going to be discussing, at least for the first couple of weeks. Um, this Mishnah is the beginning of the dogmatics in Judaism. Dogmatics means the listing of dogmas, the listing of the mandatory beliefs of a Jew. The Ramam here, on this Mishnah, invented the very famous list of the 13 Ikrei Hayadut, the 13 principles of faith, for which the Ramam is famous, which have been uh, not in the Mambam's language, but in somewhat other language, are found in every Siddur at the end of uh, Tfilat Shacharit. Other Rishonim have different lists, uh, or different enumeration of the, of the dogmas of Judaism. But it all begins with this Mishnah, which says that you don't have a portion in the, in the future world, which Ramam understood as meaning a very, very serious problem. If you lose your portion in the future world, that means you've missed out completely on the life of Judaism, which is why he calls the belief in uh, the resurrection, a dogma, a principle of, uh, of faith. Um, there are other things which appear in the Mishnah which may not be so simple, and we will get to them as we get to them. I want to jump immediately to the Gemara, uh, which asks, what is the basis for this first belief? It should be noted that the Mishnah did not say, he who does not believe in resurrection will not have a portion in the future world. As perhaps it should have said, if we're talking about midak and midah, and in fact that is the Russian of that is the language of the Gemara. Who kafar lo He denied resurrection, therefore he has no portion in resurrection of the future world. But the Mishnah did not say he who denies resurrection has no portion in the future world. The Mishnah said he who says that resurrection is not from the Torah, in the Torah, he does not have a portion. And the Gemara, as we immediately see, is really related to that point. The Gemara asks, what is the basis in the Torah for the belief in resurrection? It's obvious to all of us that there is no explicit reference to resurrection in the Torah. The Torah is very much oriented to this world. The Torah talks about reward and punishment. It's, it's reign and prosperity. It's not a spiritual future world uh, 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 reward and punishment. Rashi comments, I, uh, a word of caution, there are many people who believe that Rashi and Chedek wasn't written by Rashi. Um, the Rashi I'm going to read, there is a comment on the side of the Gemara that says, the Beit Shmuel says that this comment is not from Rashi. It was even if the rest of the parak is written by Rashi, this is showing not by Rashi. Again, we're not going to concern ourselves with the uh, minutiae of uh, the authorship of the commentary called the commentary of Rashi. It's here in the Gemara and it provides a lot of useful information. Rashi was bothered by this point. Why is the Gemara, why is the mission say that the necessary dogma that we're talking about isn't belief in resurrection, but belief in resurrection has a textual basis in the Torah? So Rashi says the following. 
האומר, אין תחיית מן המתים מן התורה, שכופר במדרשים, דדשינים בגמר דקמן, this person denies, not the belief itself, but he denies the textual support, the homiletics, which provides the basis, as the Gemara, which we will be reading, enumerates, מנין לתחיית המתים מן התורה, אפילו יהיה מודה ומאמין שיחיו המתים, even though he accepts, he believes, that the dead will come to life. But he denies the textual basis for it. He has no portion in the world to, world to come. That is a simple explanation of the Mishnah, but surely that's amazing. Why should you lose your portion in the world to come? Because you don't, you, you believe in what you have to believe in, but you don't think that it has a textual basis. So Rashi explains, Afili yamodem but he doesn't think that there is a hint, because there's no explicit statement. At best, there'll be a hint. He thinks it's not hinted at, it's not, cannot be deduced in some way from the Torah. He is called a heretic. Why is that? Because it denies the uh, biblical basis, the Torah basis for the resurrection of the dead. Ma lanu emunato. What do we care what he believes in? From where, I'm quoting Rashi, from where does he know it? That it's true. Therefore, he is a total heretic. Fichach kofer gamurhu. I think this Rashi is making a very interesting statement. Rashi is saying, if a person believes in the resurrection of the dead, but doesn't think the Torah teaches it, then his belief is meaningless. A special thing about the resurrection of the dead, it has no logical basis. If someone believes, the other, let's take from among the other 13 principles of faith of the Rambam, a person believes that um, there is reward and punishment. You don't need a textual basis for that, to make it important. You, you believe that God is just, and God is powerful, and therefore there is ultimate reward and punishment. If God doesn't reward the good and punish, the, the, and punish evil, then the world is a different kind of a world. It means that God is a different kind of God. God doesn't care about justice. That's a very different thing. How did Avraham Avinu know when he said to God, HaShofet kol aretz lo yasem mishpat, when God informed Avraham Avinu that he was going to destroy the cities of Sodom and Amorah. And Avraham Avinu protests and says, you are the judge of all the world, how can you do that? Don't you have to do justice? How did he know that? He knew that because that was the nature of God. There's a logical, perhaps not a logical proof, but surely there's a logical basis. It's a belief that comes from our basic beliefs concerning the world and God. But Tchet is a future event. History, future history, cannot be proven or even surmised on the basis of logic. It'll either take place or it won't take place. It's, it's a future contingent event. It doesn't have to be. Your basic faith in God doesn't require that He resurrect the dead. The only way to know it rationally is through prophecy. Is because God has told us about it. If someone doesn't accept the prophetic basis, the revealed basis, the revelation basis for the future resurrection, but he believes it anyhow, then you're talking about 
what uh, 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 the famous uh, British philosopher, uh, Oxford philosopher Ramsey, called a blick. It's a it's a joke in your head. I believe that I believe that on Mars there are secret caverns full of little green people. I really believe that. Not I, but somebody really believes that. Maybe even believes it with all his heart, with all his soul. But it's not a belief. Having no basis, it's just a wild idea that your commitment to indicates perhaps mental illness. And therefore, what Rashi is saying is, it's not really a commitment. Malanu, what do we care about his belief? To use, it, to use another term, the Ramam distinguishes between beliefs and knowledge. And the Ramam says that knowledge is knowledge. Knowledge requires a basis. Things that people believe in, but they have no basis for it. They don't know the proof. So I'm just talking about philosophical proofs. If you don't know the philosophical proof that God exists, but don't know if you believe in God, the Ramam says that doesn't, it's not worth much. And Rashi here is saying a similar thing, but in a more extreme, in, in, in a more simple sense, I think. Because the Ramam is distinguished between logical proofs, philosophic proofs, and other bases for belief. Here, Rashi is distinguished between basis for belief and no basis for belief. The belief in resurrection can't have a basis that's worthy of, of, of respect other than, other than the Torah, other than revelation. And therefore, the Gemara, which we're now about to start to read, will search for what that basis is. This is a very important point in context because since, as we're going to see, the Gemara has like seven, eight, nine, I don't remember how many different suggestions as to what the textual basis for resurrection is. And frankly, each one of them is is a choice. If you don't want to accept one of them, you, you have a perfect logical basis not to accept it. They're a bit strained. Why does the Gemara even offer so many different ones? Because they're all strained. But the Gemara is committed to finding something. And therefore, in terms of the rational among us, uh, or the modern rational among us, we might be inclined to think that, you know, it's definitely not pshat in these psukim which we're going to read. It's true, it's not pshat. It's Jewish, or what Rashi calls Vimiza. It's a Vemez. It's even less than Jewish. There's Pshat, Drush, and only after that, Vemez. Vemez is a very tenuous basis. But what Rashi is pointing out is you have to have a basis. If you don't have a basis, then you don't really believe in it. And if you don't, re- you don't really believe in it, and if you don't really believe in it, then you have a problem. And therefore, we're going to take these Vimazim, these hints, these textual hints, as seriously as possible, the upshot of the nine of them together is that, yes, I believe in some sense, in one way or another, the Torah teaches us this. If I don't have to think the Torah teaches us this thing, the resurrection of the dead, then my ascent to it, because the Rambam said I should ascend to it, doesn't really count. A belief, a heartfelt belief, has to be something which you're committed to. You have to know that it's true. Revelation, the Torah, is a basis for knowing that something's true. Believing in it, meaning assenting to its truth, without a basis like that, is not really assent. It's not really a belief of yours. You really deny it. You really don't believe. And therefore, the Mishnah says here, I don't check to see whether he says, yes, I believe in resurrection. I check as to whether he thinks that God taught us that there's resurrection. And now let us examine what the Gemara says. We'll start to examine, because there are many suggestions in the Gemara, uh, as to what is the textual basis for the belief in the future resurrection, the bodily resurrection of the dead. 
So the Gemara on Daf Tzadi Amud Bet, the Mishnah was on Tzadi Amud Aleph, skipping the first few lines in the Gemara. Um, the Gemara begins a list of statements that begin with somebody, one of the Amoraim, saying, Minayin Litchiyat Hamitim Min HaTorah. What, in fact, is the textual biblical basis for um, the resurrection of the dead? Amar Rav Yochanan, Minayin Litchiyat Hamitim Min HaTorah Shenemar. Venatatem mimenu et trumat Hashem la'aron ha'kohen. Pasuk in Bamidbar, when telling us that we should give terumah to a kohen, at a certain percentage of the crops are tithed and, and given to a kohen. So the pasuk, the phraseology of the pasuk is don't, it doesn't say, and you will give terumah, the terumah of God, to the kohen or a kohen, but it says you will give it to Aaron kohen. In fact, there are many psukim in the Torah, where the Torah tells us the laws of Kohen and speaks in the historical context. The only Kohen at the time was Aaron. Now, the truth is, if you want to know really why I think the Gemara is justified in at least on the level of Jewish saying there's something to look forward to, is that it's not true that Aaron was the only Kohen. He had two sons who also were Kohenim at that time. The fact, there were three Kohenim. And nonetheless, the Pasuk refers to give it to Aaron a Kohen. Sometimes, not always, but many, many psukim where it says, do A, do B, one of those things is this pasuk. And you shall give uh, the terumah of God to Aaron Kohen. The Gemara asks, but will Aaron live forever? Aaron did not enter Eretz Israel. In the desert, they didn't give terumah. Not just will Aaron live Forever, what you do afterwards. That would bother us less. Pasuk says this law applies to Aaron. And then there's another Pasuk which says that Aaron has successes. There is a Kohen who takes the place of Aaron. For instance, in the Parshat Achremot, the Parshat which describes the service on Yom Kippur, it also says Aaron many, many times. But then at the end it says there will be a Kohen who will take the place of Aaron who will do the same thing. So the original Pasuk could say Aaron, but I know that there are successes. But in this case, it was never done ever. Because Aaron died before the Jews entered Eretz Israel, but the mitzvah of Chuma only began after they entered Eretz Israel. There was no Chuma in the desert for two reasons. One, they had no crops, and two, if they had crops, it wouldn't apply because it's a mitzvah The mitzvah of tithing, of giving Tumot to Masot, only applies to products grown, produce grown in Eretz Israel. So in fact, no one ever gave to Aaron HaKohen, which casts the Pasuk, and you will give it to Aaron HaKohen, even if it's meant halachically to indicate any Kohen who takes the place of Aaron, but it's still a singularly bad choice of words. Why Dafka? Why specifically would God choose to phrase the midst of giving Tumat to Kohen as applying to Aaron, even as a metaphor, since in fact Aaron specifically is not the only person to get Shuma? No, no, much worse than that. He never would get Shuma. Because unfortunately, he died in the desert together with his brother Moshe, uh, together with his sister uh, uh, Miriam. He never ever saw Eretz Yisrael. Ella, so the Gemara says, Melamed she'atid l'chiyot v'yisrael notin lo Tuma. Mikan l'tchatamaitim enatara. So this passage indicates that there will be some time when it will be possible to give Chuma to Aaron HaKohen, obviously a future time, but it requires that Aaron HaKohen will be existent in that future time, existent as, clearly as a real 
bodily person, because we're not going to give Chuma to the soul of Aaron. Chuma is real, real, real fruits, real produce. So if the Pasuk says, imenu et Trumat Hashem, Kohen, you shall give it the Truma of God to Aaron Kohen, and the Pasuk, of course, is also in future tense, and you shall give. The Gebar says that indicates that the possibility of actually and literally fulfilling this Pasuk has to exist. And therefore, our own will exist in the future. Right? That's the first proof, a biblical textual proof, that Tchiyata Mitim exists. doesn't mean that everybody will be resurrected, but the Pasuk has indicated that Aaron HaKohen will exist bodily in a future time, so that we were able to fulfill literally this Pasuk, and you will give the Tumah of Hashem to Aaron HaKohen. That's the first, uh, that's the first proof. My question now is, what can we learn from this proof? Not only that Chatamitim is true, but I think, and this is the question that I think concerns us, we can learn something about the nature of the doctrine of resurrection. And here I want to explain what's bothering me, what my question is. Let's say it's true that at some future time there will exist a resurrection of the dead. That still doesn't explain why it's a dogma of Judaism. Based on the Nevi'im, there are a number of future events that I know will take place because the prophets have prophesied such. I know that the temple will be rebuilt. The Beit HaMikdash will be rebuilt. May it happen quickly in our days. But that's not a dogma. It's true, since the prophet said it's true, therefore I believe it's true, because I don't deny the prophets. But that's not, no, someone who doesn't believe in that, it doesn't lose his portion in the, in the, in the future world, nor does the Ramam list that as one of the 13, uh, one of the 13 uh, principles of faith. To get a little bit more picky, uh, Yechezkel says that there, at the end of the days there will be a war of Gog and Magog. Gog, the king of uh, uh, Magog, will lead an army to Eretz Israel and fight against, uh, fight against the Jews. If he says it's going to take place, then presumably it's going to take place. But belief in that particular future event is not a dogma of Judaism. Why? Because it's not that important. It's true. It will take place. But denying it doesn't make you a heretic in the sense that you're denying a principle, a basis, a, a central pillar of Judaism. You can be a very good Jew without believing in that. Um, there were a lot of prophets in Israel. There were a lot of future events which are described in the prophets. So we, we understand the Pasuk literally. It says that at some future time, the Avim Kevis. The wolf and the lamb will live together. So we get on to put the Pasuk uh, 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 metaphorically, and that's a future event. And if you deny that, so you're making a mistake, in my opinion, because the Pasuk says it'll take place. But you're not a heretic, because you haven't denied. That's not a principle of Judaism. Why is the future resurrection of the dead a principle of Judaism? And just to show us how important this principle is, it's not only listed here in the Mishnah, in Chedak, which says that he who denies it has no portion in the future world. He's basically being cast out of Israel. I'd like to point out that we have a brach in Shemar which we say three times a day, which is based on, We declare to God three times a day, 
in the beginning of Shemar Esrei that you are trusted, we place our trust in you that you will resurrect the dead. And there's an entire bracha, the second bracha Shemar Esrei is based on that. That indicates how important this belief is, but why is that important? Let us contrast that to another belief, the belief in the coming of the Messiah, in Biyat HaMashiach. That I understand why it's important. It changes our whole nature understanding of Jewish history. That's about geula, about redemption. The world as we see it is a terrible place, but there will be a time when all of God's promises will be fulfilled, when there will be a king of Israel, in Israel. He will come and he will redeem the world or redeem the Jews. That, that, that changes the present. There's a difference in my present relationship with God, my present understanding of Yiddishkeit, if I think that there is a guaranteed future of redemption, and, or if I don't. So that I can see how, even though it's also a future event, but it's a future event which changes the present, it changes my understanding of what life consists of. That we are part of a historical process which will end in total victory, total uh, redemption of the world in the light of God's, king, God's kingdom. But Tchiyat HaMetim, redemption of the dead, is an interesting and perhaps hopeful particular you will die and, and someday you will, if God wills it, you will, you will come back. What is the importance of that doctrine for us? So important, in fact, that it became one of the principles of the faith. I'm going to make a number of suggestions in the course of the next few weeks as to what that importance is. What I'd like to do is derive that importance from the textual hint that the uh, Gemara gives. If the importance of the resurrection of the dead, or if the doctrine of resurrection of the dead is learnt from this Pasuk, and you will give Truma to I think we might have an answer. What is that answer? The resurrection of the dead is the principle of second chances. Let us think about Aaron. Aharon HaKohen. That's his name. It's his definition. Aaron is a Kohen. He did a lot of things in his life, but but the, the central pillar of his life was that he was the Kohen. He's the exemplar of Kehuna, of priesthood. And yet, despite that, despite the fact that all priests in all generations look at Aaron as their, as their paradigm, he is the Kohen, Aaron never fulfilled the mitzvah of receiving Tumah. If you think that Kehuna defines Avan, then Avan's life is a kind of failure, or, or maybe failure is too strong a word, maybe not. But if you think it's too strong a word, so I'll look for another word. It's, he's missing a central fulfillment of what he exists to be. Avan exists, he was born to be the Kohen. And yet he was never fully, or never experienced the fullness of being a Kohen. For he never received Truma. And receiving Truma is, a, is an essential part of being a Kohen. But don't worry. The Pasuk says, V'natate mimenu et Trumat Hashem la'aron ha-Kohen. Mikan she'tchat ha-metim torah From here we know that there will be a future resurrection of the dead. I think this indicates what the importance of the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead is. People exist 
to achieve something. There's a fulfillment to your life. The fact is that most of us do not fully fulfill that. The Gemara says it's so much stronger. Nobody fully fulfills that. Person does not die, having achieved even half of his of his desires. Absalovetchik would speak about this many times. The defeat is his words. Defeat is an essential part of human destiny. He would concentrate the figure for that for the Rav Zatzal, which which brought this idea to to life wasn't really Aaron, but it was Moshe. He would speak about Moshe on how Nevo looking at Eretz Israel. Moshe Rabbeinu bringing the Jews to Eretz Israel is, is what he was created to do. And yet he never got there. And that for the Rav was like, Rav used to speak about it with such sorrow in his own voice. How Moshe Rabbeinu at the, at the, at the border of his life's achievement will not cross the, will not cross the Jordan. Defeat is essential part of human existence and yet people exist not to be defeated but to succeed you exist because you have a goal you, you were created in order to fulfill something if you don't fulfill it then that's an incredible tragedy and yet that's the tragedy of human existence Triyata Mitim is what you don't succeed now in doing you will succeed in the future it's a necessary belief in order to understand the fulfillment of human life. And if that's true, then it really does change what we what we believe in. It changes how we exist. You exist, the, the fact that you will not fulfill it could destroy your lives. If I really believe that I will not fulfill my God-given role, then what do I exist for? The answer is, both things are true. You won't fulfill completely. Of course, you'll fulfill a great deal. But you will not fully achieve fulfillment in this world, meaning in this life. But you have a chance to fulfill it. You should know that even though your life has an end, and it ends in the middle of the story, tragically, your life will end in the middle of your true destiny. It's the law of second chances. Because you died before you fulfilled your destiny, God promises you that you will live again. What will happen, for instance, to Aaron HaKohen, who never fully fulfilled his destiny, his God-given goal and meaning of life, to be a Kohen? He will live again and he will receive Truma then. And then, it's possible to say that Aaron finally fulfilled his destiny in life. So I think this first source, aside from its importance as being a source, because as we explained in the name of Rashi, one must have a source to believe in resurrection, or else it's just a silly, crazy idea in my head, which doesn't really become part of my life. But from this particular source, I think we also derive an idea. Why is the belief in the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of life, why is that an important, very important, central doctrine of the Jews? Because it tells us something about our own lives, something essential. God created us with a purpose. To fulfill that purpose is the meaning of life. And therefore we believe that there is life after life in order to maintain the possibility 
of full fulfillment, something which cannot be achieved or will not be achieved in, in our first life. What I plan to do in reading the next two pages of Gemara, which offer source after source, is a similar thing. To try to find, not merely understand the particular hint, but also what is this hint telling us about the nature of the dogma of resurrection. From the hint itself, we'll learn something about the importance of the belief.